Welcome back to another Noob Spirit podcast. I'm the show's host, Isaac, aka Shrek. Today we're chatting with at Wet Whammel. It's Sam Clothe the Air. Sam Clothe the Air. I pronounce it wrong all the time. That's why I'm emphasizing it. And uh, Sam is uh, no stranger to a little bit of publicity. He is the filmmaker at the Wet Mammal channel on YouTube. If you've watched some of his videos, I'm sure you're aware of him. Um, he's done uh, like hike and spear across um, some parts of the UK coastline. Um, he's Australia based now, he predominantly spears around Sydney. Uh, very interesting dude, quite well traveled and uh, just frost on spearing. At the moment, he's been doing a video series called Spear fishing the undesirables where he basically um, spears uh, an undesirable species. Um, some of the examples are like um, Bonito, um, Southern Fusilier, and he, he spends a bit of time just spearfishing a species, uh, filming the capture, then filming the preparation of the food and then cooking it. I'd encourage you to check it out, Wet Mammal on YouTube, Wet Mammal on Instagram. While you're on Instagram, always follow Noob Spiro by the way, come and catch up with us. Um, growing quite a cool and vibrant following there the, the dms are uh, constantly flooding in just thanks for your support guys and um and sharing the podcast as well massive massive it's been huge uh gone through a real big period of growth recently and uh just want to thank you guys the listeners but anyway let's get into today's episode with the wet mammal sam clothe the air here we go Today's Noob Spiro podcast is proudly brought to you in partnership with Adreno Spearfishing Supplies. For your next piece of spearfishing equipment, head to adreno.com.au. Flat rate shipping, Australia-wide, huge range of gear. Save $20 on every purchase over $200 when you use the code Noob Spiro. Better yet, drop into their Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne or Perth megastores. Use the code Noob Spiro to save online or in-store. Check it out, adreno.com.au. Recently I brought some new equipment online at today's show sponsor Neptonics.com and I was super impressed by the quality of the packaging and the before and after sales support. These guys don't muck around, they make awesome tough dependable equipment and their service matches the quality of the equipment they sell. Visit Neptonics.com, use the code NOOB10 to save 10% on anything and everything store-wide. If you're shopping in the USA and you spend more than $99, you get free shipping at Neptonics.com. G'day guys, welcome to the Noob Spirit Podcast. You're in for a treat today, Sam Clothier joining me from Sydney. He's come down to experience the wonders of, uh, of Brisbane diving, the, the absolute splendour of the best of the best Brisbane diving conditions. How was it, Sam? Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, it was, it was awesome. We had to bail from Queensland because it was <laughs> so terrible. So we went down to the Tweed and uh, yeah, we didn't do too well down there, but we got wet, so good fun. Crummy northerlies, man. Like the northerlies and the easterlies just ruin the viz here in southeast Queensland. Like I don't know what I don't know what the the mechanism is for it, but it just stirs up all the sediment, and we just get this crappy, dirty water and not boating weather either. Like I think we had twenty knots, uh, twenty to twenty five scheduled like forecast today, so we weren't getting out for boating. So we went for a shore dive. The options were very limited with the northerlies. We ended up diving the Tweed River. On the New South Wales coast, how was it, buddy? Oh, it was, it was it was good to get wet. We didn't get anything over twenty kilo, so <laughs> not, not ideal. But <laughs> yeah, we, we we got we got wet, so drove down, got in the water, and it was better than we expected, which was pretty good. It took a while to get in the water due to restrictions, road restrictions, but um, yeah, we swam out, and it was it was looking pretty hopeful as we swam out. There's plenty of 
action in the water, just not of size. Um, and then, yeah, we came across some good structure and we yeah. played around in the structure and we really, really did try for something, but yeah, it just didn't come off with anything, unfortunately. Yeah. It was uh, like, I haven't dived that side of the Tweed River before, so it was pretty cool. And um, the bridge structure was awesome, but like we arrived at the bridge and there's these buggers like um, shoring up the bridge by dropping like big rocks. And so like when you're on the bottom, we're at maybe six, eight meters, I think. And then you've got these rocks sounding off like from 20 meters away and just smashing into the bottom. It was like, it wasn't real relaxing diving, was it? No, yeah, definitely. And there's boats going overhead and there's all this noise in the water and you'd see the fish constantly react to the to the rocks. Sometimes they wouldn't and sometimes they would, which would make you a little bit paranoid if the rocks are getting closer to you. So, um, yeah, even when I was completely under the structure and I knew that I was safe from the from the rocks coming down, yeah, I still got thrown off a little bit when I heard huge cracks behind me and, yeah pretty fun yeah and it was pretty much brim and flathead hunting <laughs> yeah that's pretty much all we saw of the edibles yeah yeah um but it, cool cool to get in the water cool to go for a dive together and uh, get to know each other a bit more we talked rubbish all the way down there and all the way back so it was pretty cool and it's been good having you stay at my place uh in the the shrek castle really yeah thank um, you for having me it's welcome like, to far far away <laughs> your humble abode no it's awesome it's yeah, been good cool. um all right, man. I'm guessing like listeners have detected a, a faint UK accent. There. <laughs> um, where are you from, and how did you get started spearfishing? All right, so I'm from Torquay in Devon in the UK, which is the southwest of the UK. I grew up on the coast, so I was pretty lucky. Um, and our coast is probably the best coast in the whole of the UK for spearfishing. Um, so yeah, I got into spearfishing. At the age of about 13 or 14, um, I used to do a lot of rock jumping, cliff jumping, and we were jumping into the water one day, and all of a sudden this guy just pops his head up and he's got a fish. And we were like, <laughs> After you jumped off the cliff, the yeah, yeah. guy jumped up next to you. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah, just, just he must popped have been, up. He must have been surprised to see you. Yeah, 100, we would have shit him up for sure, because of yeah. yeah coming in the water pretty quick, and yeah, from memory, he didn't have a float either, so we just bombed him pretty close to him. Oh, wow. And then um, we were like... Oh, what what's he doing? Never seen spearfishing before, so it was yeah, it was pretty interesting to see somebody dive down and come up with a fish. Mm-hmm. So he had a couple of fish on him. Yeah, yeah, he had a couple of bass, and um, he just literally came up, showed the fish, and then just disappeared. And thought it was pretty funny, and we were kind of anticipating him to come back up, and he didn't after two minutes, and we were <laughs> pretty amazed. And yeah, yeah, it was just bizarre. Yeah. So that started the the, the curiosity, the the sort of the interest. What happened then? So from from there, he came up at a different location and we shouted him across and realised that he was a guy that went to our school, um, Matt Hill. And yeah, we just got chatting to him and said that he was doing spearfishing, which we'd never heard of before. Then we were pretty keen on it. So we got in the water and um, yeah, pretty much just swam around watching him do what he did. He didn't catch anything whilst we were around because we were just hectic in the water like yeah. five lads swimming around one sparrow <laughs> but um we were intrigued enough to question him about it outside of the water and um yeah we went on ebay and just bought a whole heap of scuba gear and a couple of spear guns and made out it yeah how good's the scuba gear for spearfishing free dive oh, spearfishing absolutely excellent we had illuminous yellow split fins <laughs> for about two and a half years um, yeah, and we just like, everything was just crap. Yeah. Um, yeah, the wetsuits just weren't designed right. Like even our dive knives were pretty terrible. You couldn't kill a fish with them because they're flat-headed dive knives. Oh yeah, yeah. They're, 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 what are those scuba? What do they use those scuba knives for? Is it just like an upsell in a scuba store? Because I can't really see like any real practical purpose of the scuba knife. Maybe like you find a seagull like 
caught in some fishing line and you use a serrated edge to cut it free. Yeah. I can't think of any real utility for it though. No, yeah, still even today I don't really know what they're for. Yeah, just like that 40 or $50 upsell in a scuba shop. Love it, love it. Yeah, don't buy a blunt-headed uh, scuba knife for spearfishing. You need a sharp tip for icky and, and the split fins, like the open heel things, like... Like they, I think they, I don't know what they're for. <laughs> they <are> horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what it does for scuba divers. Mm, it's probably mm. just a bit of wank gear for them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I started off scuba diving, so I'm not paying them out too much. Have you done any scuba diving? I, I did. I got, um, I, after I developed an interest in spearfishing, I'd been doing it for a while. And um, yeah, I, I told my parents that I was doing spearfishing and coming home with fish. So they did the next logical thing and they booked me on a paddy course. <laughs> <laughs> they thought you were scuba diving and you were free diving. Yeah. Oh, wow. So you did your open water ticket? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Was uh, it good? Was it fun? Yeah, it was, it was like, it was it was pretty fun. I think I'd, I've done five dives since I completed that course, which yeah, I completed yeah. when I was like 15. Yeah. So obviously loved it. I logged like 300. <laughs> like, and, you, and like in scuba diving, you have a log book. And um, I remember, like, some of the dives I did were just shit, like, like diving in, like, literally, like, a, a brown pond just to log a dive. Like, I got down to three metres and would do a grid search or something for one of our specialty, like, um, like um, certifications or something. And, and it, it was, like, 12 degree water, 12 degrees Celsius water. And, ah, oh, like, what an experience. Mm. Overwhelming. But not all of them are like that. I, I've got to dive tropics and all the rest of it. So like, but scuba diving definitely have a, has its place. The problem I had was like, I'd want to go and catch crayfish and bugs and you know all the rest of it, and and then I wanted to shoot fish as well because it's like, well, you know. But with the scuba diving, you, you're making too much noise really to to really see a lot of them. Was that your kind of experience? Yeah, and it was just the kit hire scenario. So we were able to buy our spearfishing gear from secondhand scuba gear, and it was super cheap. But to actually get fully kitted out with tanks, BCD, and and stuff like that it would have cost over the over the roof like a kid couldn't afford it mm. so that was another off like huge off put with scuba diving is just the expense whereas with free diving once you've purchased the gear you can go out and just do it any day of the week you don't need to worry about compressing and stuff like that yeah yeah no tank hire and yeah. less equipment and more freedom yeah yeah nice Cool, man. Well, well, but but free diving is a little bit more difficult you'd have to say or, or a little bit more demanding physically than scuba diving like you can be in pretty bad shape and scuba dive pretty well mm. but free diving like I'm in you know as bad a shape as you can get really <laughs> <laughs> and still do it to some sort of level like it does demand a level of like physical proficiency how, do, how was that journey for you? Yeah I was, I was always pretty fit growing up just from doing lots of outdoor activities hiking and, and running and stuff like that but um yeah, it plays in massive. I can remember doing a free diving course in Malta and I was literally getting into the water and there was probably five of us getting in and there was like 20 blokes stood on the side in scuba gear smoking before yeah. a dive. Yeah, <laughs> like that just kind of sets it uh, up for me. Durries, durries and dive tanks. <laughs> oh, so it. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what obstacles did you encounter? Was equalizing easy for you? Like, um, did you start taking on depth? Like, um, 
you were diving Devon, like the water's not super clean. Did you have depth around? Like what were some of the issues you had? Yeah, depth, depth wasn't something that I struggled with too too much. My best mate um, who I ended up going diving with consistently, I kind of roped him in. He he liked it a little bit, but I was more keen and he just kind of like used to come with me. But um, he, he couldn't equalize for anything and he still really, really struggled after like three years. Um, and he would just, for probably about six months, he would just dive down. And then I asked him, like, why aren't you diving deeper? And he's like, my ears hurt. And it just turns out he'd been diving down to, like, six metres and he'd never equalised. Yeah, yeah. So, not ideal. One thing, like, people don't realise is, like, your that membrane, you can actually, like, um, um, like, you can make it, you can develop this memory. Because, like, it, when I grew up in New Zealand, like, we would dive every year in the bottom of this um, diving pool. And it was, like, four metres deep, which is quite deep without equalising. But we never knew how to equalise. So we'd dive down. And for the for the first half of the summer season, your ears would be – well, for the first few weeks, your ears would be really sore. But then your body would just slowly <laughs> adapt to it. I don't know what they did in terms of scar tissue to it. Because it's like a – it's just really like skin. It's a, it's a membrane. But it will actually adapt and stretch – to an extent so it's funny your mate like getting down six meters without equalizing is a hell of an effort yeah, he was trying yeah yeah definitely and he always put on a face when he came out of the water and i just thought that was his dive face but yeah, yeah no he's in a bit of pain <laughs> <laughs> poor bugger and he definitely didn't have uh ted hardy's roadmap to uh friends of equalizing did he no yeah definitely not this is in the in the day and age that we were spearfishing when we were kids there was no information that was readily available to us like there is today there's yeah. no 99 tips for example and, and yeah. stuff like that it was just oh no, i like that there's that casual casual plug there yeah, yeah, yeah. good Checking stuff in. 99 yeah. tips to get better at spearfishing yeah actionable information yeah yeah, yeah. actionable yeah um <laughs> but yeah there was there was nothing like that when we yeah, were yeah. growing up so we just kind of went out and and did what we did it was super dangerous mm. looking back but we, we survived mm. earlier today i remember you were telling me like you hyperventilated for the first 12 or 13 years you were you were spearfishing <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you taught your mate to do it as yeah. well yeah. how was that yeah, that was that was a pretty fun experience. So, I, yeah, I didn't think I'd done anything wrong, and I'd never had any issues with it before. And I was in um, WA as a, as an adult, and been doing it all my life. And I, for most of my diving throughout my life, I've done it solo as well. So there I am in the middle of the UK winter ocean, just hyperventilating and going for gold, <laughs> and never had a, a drama, luckily. Um, and then, yeah, one day I all of a sudden encountered something in, in WA and decided to take a dive course. And it was when I took the dive course, that's when I realized that hyperventilating is just a terrible thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is hyperventilating bad? So um, you're essentially, you're, you're knocking out the, the sensor. So your body's got this alarm system that kind of goes off for your blood oxygen level. And it's, it's based on like a negative feedback system from your mm. CO2 levels. Mm. And when you hyperventilate, you kind of trick your body into not giving you the signal. So it's like, ta the way I think of it is kind of like taking the batteries out of your smoke alarm. Yeah. So you're still going to have smoke. <laughs> you're just not going to get as much warning that you've got a fire in your house. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. So, so you, you, you're hiding that, um, that urge to breathe, which makes it more comfortable to stay down longer because you don't get big contractions and stuff. Yeah. But it's like a false economy because you, you're on the verge of maybe a, a blackout, but your body's just not sending you those signals. Yeah, yeah. I love it. So when you did the course, did they? how did they sort of teach you out of that like what was the oh pr pretty much just with information so um yeah there i was we went out into the water and the, 
they had already talked about hyperventilating before and I didn't really know that what I did was hyperventilating. I just yeah. thought that was my breathe up, if you yeah. would. <laughs> so yeah, there I was on the surface and the dude was like, what are you doing? And I was just like, oh, get like getting ready to dive down. He was like, you're hyperventilating. I was like, that's that's what I do like for warm up. And it was, it was a bit strange because if I haven't encountered any real problems with it, except for one experience, it was a bit tricky to kind of be told that, hey, you've done this wrong for yeah, 13 yeah. years like yeah. it's pretty pretty crazy but yeah i accepted it completely and um yeah it massively changed my dives so. yeah but like i think if you stop hyperventilating and you start like total breathing or following more like a more natural sort of cadence like a you know like a four and eight out sort of type breathing or whatever um to to get you in that relaxed state all of a sudden, though, you start getting contractions in because yeah. you would have been hyperventilating and, and not really needing, feeling that urge to breathe. Was that uncomfortable? Yeah, really, really uncomfortable. And I think because of I was hyperventilating for so many years, I think my body's just like lacked building up a tolerance to contractions. So I get contractions really early. I get yeah. contractions at like a minute 30. Um, oh, that's, and that's, not, pretty, that's not really early. That's, that's pretty pretty full on. Yeah, um, yeah. Like I can get body movements from yeah, a minute 30. Um so not ideal. But have you ever done any CO two training tables? I have. Yeah. Uh, very fun. Uh, yeah. I've I've got to be careful with them. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, yeah. Because of the um, I think it's the the hypoxia side of things. Yeah. Um, I was doing some on a dive course that I did a couple of months ago in the UK, yeah. and yeah, I really like the feeling that you get when you're really low on on oxygen and you kind of oh. just keep pushing yourself and yeah. you feel good. You feel really really happy and tingly and yeah, I, like, I kind of don't know when to stop sometimes. So ah uh, yeah 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 like knocking on blackout's door kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, pushing yeah. real close. Yeah, righto. Yeah, there is a, that euphoric sort of feeling that some people talk about. Like um, I've experienced it like free dive training in the pool. I think maybe if you're in a controlled environment, like you're like training on dry land um, in a seated position or something, or you're like in a pool with um, people that are there watching you and stuff, because mm -hmm. I really encourage people in the pool definitely to train with like, someone <laughs> yeah. watching you, because like we're competitive and we're a bit silly and we just push it. So and um, and even if you don't think you're pushing it, you you probably are. Like, but yeah, I've enjoyed that that that, that, that same feeling. So now that's cool. Um, what what training have you done to? Like that you, do you do any regular training to maintain your breath hold apart from diving? Um, no, not really. I keep a general level of fitness through rock climbing and a bit of gym, like just general exercise. Um, lots of like long distance hiking and swimming. Yeah. But apart from that, I don't actually practice tables. And that, that mainly came, comes down to, especially in water training, is that I don't dive with too many people. Um, and I'm a bit paranoid about doing it in a pool on my own mm. without any kind of supervision or buddy system, so... Cool, cool. All right. Um, the spearfishing bug bit you hard. Like you've been going for a long time. You started a YouTube channel, the Wet Mammal um, YouTube channel. That's how I originally come across you. And we've been chatting for years back and forth. It's, we finally got to meet in person. But, I mean, probably one of the first memorable fish must have helped give you the bug for it. Like can you remember what that sort of that first fish was that just put the stoke in you? Yeah, it was a, it was a pretty average fish. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> it was just a wrass in the UK, which now like um, – don't frown upon but I wouldn't take 
Um, but yeah, it hooked me like hook, line and sinker. I, mm. Yeah, dove down and there'd been a bit of prep to it and I'd put a bit of tactic on it and I kind of worked out where this fish was going like repeatedly and I dove down and hit on a rock and just kind of waited for him to show his face just as he came around the side of a ledge and yeah, popped him and it was a good shot and took him up to the surface and I was over the moon. I was so yeah. stoked, like yeah. just to have my first fish and we cooked it and it was the best thing on the planet. Yeah. It yeah. was just like, yeah, we were completely indulged in the stoke and the froth. Yeah. Like it was, yeah. yeah, it was epic. You need those early experiences, I think, to solidify the, the stoke and all the rest of it. And like, I mean, today we, we were chatting in the car about a lot of issues that kind of like the new Spiro journey, you know, like... Um, what we learned and what we've observed watching countless people and I want to really chat about that in the veterans vault with you um, because I think there's a heap of points we can touch on with that if your buddy had a blackout on your next beer fishing trip think what would the outcome of that be do you know how to revive someone from a blackout would you even be in a position to do something about it or would you be diving, chasing after a fish as your buddy sinks down to the bottom of the ocean? Do you know where most blackouts happen? Do you know what you can do to minimize your risk of having a blackout? My name is Ted Hardy, and I'm the founder of freedivingsafety.com. In my free online course, you will learn the truth about shallow water blackout, the myth of, I don't push myself, I know my limits, I'm in tune with my body, how to minimize your risk of having a blackout, and most importantly, how to save your buddy's life if they have one. Visit freedivingsafety.com to sign up for your free course today. Dive safe out there. It's just not even that hard. Um, moving on from from that that first RAS, like you 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 set a point there, like um, I don't really shoot them anymore. What's changed? So it, it's just how how easy they are. Like my ethics have continued to evolve over the years. So there's a lot of things that I did when I was a kid that like, I wouldn't do now. And that's I, I look at other people and they make similar. I will say mistakes in some cases, um, but it's completely fine to make mistakes because of it's it's how you learn. There's some things that you just you don't do, like mm. shoot your friends, but, <laughs> but there's other things that you can be forgiven for, yeah. and you just ethically you change as a Spiro yeah. as you kind of mature yeah. into the. What are the, some of the things that you can be forgiven for as a new Spiro? Can and, be forgiven yeah, for. Yeah. Ooh. It's a, it's a hard one, isn't it? Yeah. And it's hard to say on a podcast where people listen to it, but like. I'm writing a blog post at the moment, as you know, for mm. called Fish ID Please, because these are the posts we see in the spearfishing social media groups where someone posts a photo of a fish they shot and they say, what the hell is this? Yeah. And, uh, but when you start, particularly if you live in an area where you didn't grow up line fishing or you, you moved to a different country or whatever and you just don't have that background knowledge, mm. you know, you, there can be a plethora of species that you could possibly encounter and shoot. And reading through books is fantastic, but you don't necessarily have that knowledge and things. And we see this phenomena over and over and over again. Um, is that something that's forgivable, do you think? What's your take on it? Yeah, in some cases, yeah, it, it is forgivable. Um, in other cases, no. So in the case of some fish, like there's a lot of fish out there for starters. So people who move around have a lot of trouble keeping track of what's what, especially when it's governed by county or by state. And if you're bouncing between the borders, if you live in Gold Coast and you've got to keep up to date with Queensland regs and New South Wales regs, 
if you sometimes slip up on on like one or the two yeah it's, if it's a genuine mistake yeah of course it's a mistake like everybody makes mistakes if you're going out and you're shooting a, a fish that is like signed everywhere on your entry do not take this fish and you've yeah. taken four of them and yeah. you kind of know that you're doing a bad thing yeah that's that's un unforgivable i think well like new south wales have no take on blue groper queensland you're allowed to take them yeah um and there's a border that's kind of weird distinction all of a sudden you get over the border, boom, I can shoot them again. South of the border, no take. Um, it is a weird sort of thing. Um, and there are, yeah, there's some definite um, like things there. Like I was chatting with you earlier and I was saying like, like in Queensland, there's maybe 50 species that you could probably encounter as a new sparrow. That's a lot of like knowledge that you need you know, like the the size and the bag limits, honestly, and the no-take species, I think they're the things you should pay attention to. Like, just learn what you're allowed to take, minimum sizes. If Generally, like, if you don't shoot anything under, like, um, 30 centimetres at all, you're doing well. Yeah. Um, and then, like, some species need to be a minimum of 40 or 60 centimetres, so they're the ones you need to pay attention to. Um, you're not going to shoot probably a bag limit of any species anyway, but you definitely need to pay attention to your no-take species. What's it like in the UK, though, and in Sydney, where you've done a lot of spearing? Um, yeah, so it's massively different. We've got in um, the UK, we've got close, close season for bass now. So you can take bass. It's got a legal requirement, which is different for different parts of the country, I believe. Uh, it's 42 centimetres um, for where I'm from. But yeah, so it's got this closed season, which other states in Australia do have. WA has closed seasons. Um, but New South Wales, as far as I'm aware for fish, there's no closed season. It's just kind of, it's open all year round. So um, that's something that can be different is the time of year because you have to pay attention to the dates that you're diving. Mm -hmm. If you're diving on October 1st, it could have been different to what you were three days ago. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's definitely one thing. Um, the areas in the marine reserve areas that they have, some parts, it's no take for particular species, which are fair game for the rest of the state. Okay. So there's um, areas in Sydney that are basically locked out to craze and to orkies and or octopus and stuff like that but for the rest of the state they're completely fine to take mm. so yeah that can be a little bit challenging if you bump in between and there's a lot of fish that do look pretty similar so yeah that's that can be tricky yeah if you're a traveling sparrow and you kind of get around like you do i think have to develop a mindset that's just continually learning and absorbing new information and there's critical information to pay attention to and I think when you've gone from one area to another, you start learning like, okay, this is the stuff I need to really pay attention to and learn. Because there's a lot of stuff, there's too much to learn all at once. So you really need to pay attention to just the critical stuff. Yeah. It's going to get you in trouble and make you look like a dickhead if you post it on Facebook. Yeah. Um, what about for guys that they're, they're reasonably certain of the species they've shot, but they're not quite sure on the specific genus, they don't have access to a, a fish book. Um, I definitely discourage posting it on social media for the whole world to see. However, what's your kind of way around this that you got? Yeah, so the, the, there's plenty of ways of accessing the information. It's, it's not always superly easily accessible, but it is it is out there. You just have to do, do a bit of digging yourself. So I would recommend for most people to find out what's the most common species in that area. 
and you can do that online or through like a fisheries app or something like that. New South Wales fisheries app is is really good. I do rate it. Um, YouTube videos are good too. Right? YouTube's yeah, especially with YouTube because if you can not only learn what's okay to shoot, but you can work out the areas that the fish are being shot at, um, which then gives you some insight onto the habitat oh, tactics. Yeah, yeah, there's heaps to be learned. And in your YouTube videos, you were telling me earlier, like um, on the Wet Mammal channel, you've started like, um, you call your videos montages, yeah. but um, you've started sort of identifying the species that you, you, you're you about to shoot and stuff like that. I think that's real helpful information for, for, for guys as well, because they get to see how the fish moves and how it looks underwater, because sometimes the how they look out of water is completely different. Yeah, yeah, def definitely. I think books can only get you so far, especially mm. il illustrated books. There's some fantastic illustrations out there. But, um, yeah, fish look completely different, and not just in the water, at different depths. Mm. Um, they can change all kinds of colours or, like, perceive to change colours. When you yeah. bring a fish up to the surface, it can look a lot different to when you shot it down below. Mm. So, yeah, there's all kinds of things going on. Um, but I, I reckon the best way to go is just to try and learn fish spe like target species in small mm -hmm. batches and just set yourself some homework like mm. yeah get tooled up yeah yeah it'd be nice if there was like this hierarchy of species laid out it's like okay you're a stage one sparrow these are the 10 species you're likely to encounter here's the bag limits the size limits and then you sort of slowly acquire them and then okay here's the next 20 you're a level two you know but like a lot of these books are just laid out alphabetically or according to their family rather than how we approach them natively yep. some of them are thankfully sort of separated into their geographical sort of area but jeepers it's a it's a weird um it's a weird subject to research i think sometimes yeah it, it can be an absolute mindful like minefield and you're, you're right as well like it can include fish species of of that area mm. but some as a new new sparrow you're not going to encounter if you're looking at fish that typically habitat between like 40 and 300 meters water yeah. What's like, yeah, what's You're that information to yeah, you? Yeah. There's, a, um, there's a book called um, Spearfishing South Africa by Piet Van Royen, I think is his name. Shameless plug for him. Uh, I don't know the guy <laughs> at all, but I love his book and the way he's laid it out. And he does it like he divides South Africa into four main areas. And then he's got all the species that you're likely to encounter in all of those. And it's a really thorough like book with nice pictures and and um, jeep is like if you lived in one of those areas of South Africa that book to me is a, just a no-brainer mm. but um, not every area has that like um, the UK I showed you that book earlier like um, uh, foraging what is it do you remember the title uh, for underwater foraging Guide to underwater foraging by um, Ian Donald Ian Donald um, for the UK and um, I thought that was there's some real good info on there if you live in that area of the world that book would be a no-brainer purchase I don't think there's anything like that for SCQ for a Spiro mm. um, so yeah it's, it's a it's a it's a minefield um, but you did identify something cool it was acquiring species slowly and then learning how to hunt them find them and all the rest of it let's talk about um, your favorite species to hunt all right, so it, it's my favorite species to hunt but I've, I've only spent a little time hunting it but it would be the moo Okay. Um, in the Pacific and that fish is just outstanding like the the snapper in Australia is really fun to hunt because if they do test your breath hold and you've you've got to get conditioning or your conditions right um, you've got to approach them in a certain way and yeah you do have to put a lot of thought into it it's not like you can just chum up and kind of just shoot from from the surface um, but yeah the moo in the Pacific are just an incredibly smart fish um, when you dive down they will literally just hang 
they, they, I'm pretty sure they're like chief mathematicians and they can work out exactly how much line you've got wrapped yeah, yeah. ready to go and they'll just hang 10 centimeters on the other side of it um, and yeah they'll wait until you're, you've got contractions fully going and they'll just come in a little bit closer and then just as you lift off to go up for your breath they'll come in a little bit and then they'll bugger off so they're, they're really really challenging to hunt but when you get them oh, amazing so what um, approaches have you tried on them and what have you had some success with or failure with? Okay, so I've tried tried lots of different tactics to get them. I had a, a month pretty much just targeting that fish, so I, I did get to learn a lot about that fish. Um, with the moo, I, I kind of hid underneath bommies for up some sand, tried scratching rocks, um, strumming, brand, like strumming the bands of the gun, um, just croaking underwater. And yeah, all sorts. The the sand tactics seemed to work if I threw up like a fair bit of sand and kind of used it to shield what I was to build up the suspicion of, of the moo. And then the other one was just breath hold, just straight up breath hold and face down, keeping eyes off the fish until the last second and just lifting your head. And it's a real gamble because if you can lift your head and the fish might have gone like 40 seconds oh. ago and you've wasted it, or yeah, you lift your head up and the fish just goes straight oh, away. Right, yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, sometimes you can lift your head up real slow and you just position the gun on the fish and boom. Have you ever held your fingers over your mask just to hide your eyes? I haven't held my fingers, no. I've always just put my face down. Yeah, um, yeah. I try closing my eyes, but it's a bit sketchy. Well, I've, I've heard the same thing. Like You have your face down and you're facing the sand and then you leave that for 30 seconds or whatever. And But then as you come up, you, you sort of splay your whole hand over your mask and then just peek out of just like between two fingers and that way they can't really see your eyes because I think like our eyes are pretty scary to a lot of those reef fish they mm. just seem to that I don't know if that's the trigger for them but they just bolt when they get too much of your eye contact yeah and um yeah I was just wondering if you tried that but yeah there's all sorts of weird stuff you can do and have a go at definitely they, they definitely don't like the eye contact thing if you just watch them and just follow them even if you're watching the back end of the fish mm. they can work out that they're being watched and yeah. they bugger off pretty quick yeah jeepers fish are smarter than we think eh? Yeah. like particularly some of them and um they adapt to predation too like they they get smarter with with more sparrows and stuff around them mm. like um you go to areas where that are um you know, where sparrows regularly inhabit, like we went today. <laughs> and even like relatively simple fish become quite a difficult proposition, I think, at times. So that's cool, man. So the the moo, the the seabrim that uh I, I haven't shot one yet. I'd love to. Hey, did you get a PB? Uh yeah, but I wouldn't know weight and size. Oh, you, just don't to, weigh, just, you never weigh them. No, though. I don't I don't weigh fish. No, but probably like, over twenty. Yeah, yeah, it'll be over twenty. <laughs> 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 but like like these fish like you see like a two and a half kilo one and people are like wow that's huge which is like five pounds and yeah and um they they're a wicked fish a lot of character yeah definitely mm -hmm. awesome um what about toughest situations like um have you nearly killed yourself in the sea or yeah probably probably quite a few times um yeah. i used to take myself out in pretty crazy swell when i was a teenager and yeah just go out diving on my own and it would be six o'clock in the morning in the winter still really really dark and um yeah go out into like two three meter swells and wow. kind of just get thrashed around throw up a little bit and mm. try and find something what was your strategy for entering and exiting like um a, a, a zone that has big surf <laughs> I'd like to say that I built up a strategy over time but it was kind of just ride it out and end up with sore knees sore arms and lose gear yeah 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 um, 
Yeah, I've seen so many horrible things happen. Like it's easy to stab yourself and lose stuff. Like you see people lose stuff all the time. That's a good result. Yeah. Like if you if you're nearly dead and then you get out and you lose your spear gun, you're like ah, it's just spear gun. Yeah. You know, but like for most people, I don't think that's a reality. Particularly if you're diving off a boat and stuff. But um, so yeah, what what takeaways did you have from um, from diving big swell? Oh. Just, just try and like position yourself. Like, try and work out what's happening, where the where the rips are, and stuff like that. Where you're likely to get dragged under water, um, and that taught me a lot about reading the top of the water. Um, so yeah, just just working out kind of what kind of rips there are, what kind of, and you can follow bubbles underwater. So if you're watching bubbles do silly tornadoes underwater, you know yeah. that there's a lot Vortexes of movement. And all yeah. Sorts of crazy so shit. try and avoid that. <laughs> um, <laughs> would be the go yeah, but yeah. yeah like use use the the snorkel and everything to your advantage if you if you stay back from the swell like it's where it's breaking on the rocks you're yeah. actually in a really comfy position you can just kind of do not a lot just kind of float and stay on the surface and you yeah. can just calm down take a real strategic approach and work out where looks calmest and try and roll in between sets and then and then get out and literally just dash out on your knees just punch out yeah 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 exactly um yeah. but avoid there's a dash at some stage yeah yeah whenever yeah. you're dealing with surf and I, and one of the things is when you you get to that 50 50 spot and you see the surf coming in and you're like shit have i committed and you're like should i go back or should i go forward and you're like you know here comes here comes some sore here yeah. comes some punishment but i think if you're all in just go 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 for gold eh? yeah like, yeah that's it just if you, if you pull out that's when you get smashed yeah yeah, yeah, if you if you turn back, you're just gonna end up going backwards against the rocks. You can't see where you're going, so you can't navigate your hands properly. You yeah. hit the back of your head. That's pretty. I, when I was younger, I always found like I I did a lot of um, like bodyboarding and stuff. And uh, the the place in New Zealand where I grew up was kind of famous for it. And um, going out in big surf was always quite scary for me. Like you know, as soon as it gets overhead or more, like um, it's a different experience. Mm. And um, I always found underwater so much more comfortable than above the water. Um, what about you? Yeah, 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 definitely. Like I said, like if, if you just dip down, you can literally just see what's happening under the water. Follow, like see what the seaweed's doing. Like see where the main drags are and yeah. see what's what's happening with the wash and, and everything. Um, and if you stay on the surface, you actually, sometimes you'll get caught up in the wash, like all the oxygen in the water and you can't see. And that can make you feel real queasy and that can really throw you off and make you panic a little bit. So yeah, just take take the time. Like unless unless you're real late for some kind of super important meeting, just take the time in the water to assess properly yeah. how you're going to get out and what's going on under the water. I mean, if you if you stay in the water floating for another hour, like what what does that actually do as opposed yeah. to taking a risky decision yeah. and potentially costing your it's life? It's a little bit like that between like, you know, your last dive and your next dive too. It's like there's always that temptation to dive before you've had a decent surface interval. Yeah. And you know you're not, not going to dive as good as if you had like if 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 you take that time to have a decent rest, really let your blood oxygen reoxygenate get your body to settle down again and then and then properly dive but if you've just seen a really awesome fish the temptation is to just have a 30 second breathe up pretty much and then yeah. just go again i think that's it's similar to the, the 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 mindset like patience the ability to control and manage yourself and your emotions is a massive part of spearfishing and i think it's uh, it's kind of underrated and i think it's something that you learn over time though yeah yeah uh, i'm still learning it for sure <laughs> Um, today, even today, like diving shallow, like I was thinking, shit, like um, 
I'd like to get some decent bottom time on the next dive. And I was like, oh, I've been on the surface for 40 seconds or something. And, and you think, oh, it's only six or eight metres or whatever. Like, no worries. But if you want to put in a decent, like, minute and a half or whatever it is, whatever your number is down the bottom, you should always have that decent surface into the way. Yeah. Um, another problem I had with, like, uh, with, with watching learners and surf zones and all the rest of it is if you've got islands or like an enclosed bit of water which is quite common for I think new spiros um, the tidal movement and the current is, an, is another thing to watch out for have you had experience with that like diving islands and bays and stuff yeah definitely um, especially in and around Torquay there's all kinds of rips that go through there and just yeah solid currents and it, it looks really tempting because you know that it will be quite easy to kind of just go with the flow. Yeah. But that can lead to all kinds of hairy things because it can just push you and you literally submit to the ocean. So it can push you into situations that you're not too fond of. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. So local knowledge again though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Learning learning your local environment. And you typically you do that from diving with people that dive that mm. that environment or just unfortunately how I did it just learning yeah. for a couple of cuts and bruises I've seen a couple of cringeworthy posts on Facebook lately where it's like some person they are new to spearfishing they want to really give it a go and they just put up a hit and hope type message like I'm brand new to spearfishing I've got all the gear I'm going to head out um, this this weekend is there anyone that can take me out and show me the ropes and it's like jeepers that's a hit and hope mm. like because um, I don't know like I've taken guys out like that before and, and I have, you know, and, and I know other people have as well, but Jeep is like, like you want to be going out with someone that, you know, like you hope just has their wits about them. Oh yeah. You don't want to be going out with a guy that just completely bags out on undersized fish. It's <laughs> 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 not a great way to learn. Yeah. There's a huge element of kind of trust and yeah, you've got to pick the right guy. Like if you picked me, I would have been terrible 10 years ago. I would have taught you hyperventilating. So yeah. Yeah, it's it's a real kind of luck of the draw. Yeah, yeah, it's a hard it's a hard one to do, eh? Like, um, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a weird little space to be in. I think if you write a good message, maybe, and if you want an experienced guy, maybe you, you could ask through a club, yep. and then you could uh, you could potentially bribe them with a six pack of beer or whatever it is. But like, um, you know, if you I think if you show you're sincere, you you're super keen, but you're also like competent. Like, if you can demonstrate, like, hey, of I've gone out snorkeling, and I mean, we're going to talk about this a little bit in veterans' vault, and like, let's go there now. We're going to we're going to start talking about the noob journey. So, uh, it's a not nice little neat segue. Hey, Shrek, Jeremy here, man. I'm back. Just wanted to say the podcast is growing from strength to strength, my friend. Hoorah, man. I just wanted to say thank you for your uh, continual support from the Noob Sparrow listeners, subscribing, reading, writing, and submitting kick-ass spearfishing adventures from all over the planet. Your listeners kick ass and Shrek, my friend, so do you. All you guys, come check out the next edition of Spearing Magazine at spearingmagazine.com. Jeremy out. Let me get my notes. Um, so we're going to talk about the Noob Spiro journey. Uh, I've got Sam Clothier here from the Wet Mammal. We're going to talk all about um, just a common journey as a new as a Noob Spiro. You, you're interested. Um, you've got maybe all the gear and no idea. Uh, where do you start? Or maybe we can even start without. You don't know. You don't even have the gear and, and you pre-purchase. Um, 
one thing we like to commonly tell noob sparrows to do is to go straight into doing a free diving course. Um, it's a controversial sort of topic. You and I were sort of discussing this today. Let's go there and have a bit of a discussion about whether the people should do a course straight off the bat. Yeah. So, yeah, we were discussing it in the car, but um, I, don't, I don't think that's necessarily the right way to, to go about it. It's it's There's lots of reasons for that. It's, it's a lot of money to jump straight into and you might not enjoy it. Um, but also there's a lot of basic technique that you can teach yourself without wasting that tutored time that you've paid for, which could be honing in other skills that you've developed by yourself. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I definitely recommend to people for snorkeling first and just getting in the water and experiencing the water. Yeah. I've heard of, and I've been on free diving courses where people haven't even been able to swim 50 meters and they've gone on a free diving course. Yeah. And they haven't got as much of out of the course because of the tutors spent so, or the teachers spent so much of the time teaching them basic Finning really techniques, basic like stuff. super super basic like yep. just swimming and basically like being comfortable wearing a mask underwater and that's not what you're paying for with a free diving course so gain yeah. some experience before you go in so like a free diving course is really ideal i think for someone that that can snorkel like they're starting to just maybe just dive even if it's terrible like a terrible duck dive they can at least kind of hold their breath they probably can't do like a decent breathing technique or anything like that but they're, they're comfortable with the gear and they can swim around in it maybe they can swim backwards and forwards in a swimming pool like on the surface and stuff i think that's kind of a minimum because yeah. if you go in with less than that like uh, you, you're not really getting any value. We were talking about like, you, you want a free diving instructor to f help fine tune skills, like get your duck dive so that it's efficient and you're, you're carrying energy through and you're not f throwing your arms around and like, like we see with people that are brand new and just don't know any better how to get down and just do that basic stuff. What else? Like what, what are the, some of the other things that people can work on before they do a free diving course? Um, for, for spearfishing, I think also leave, leave the gun out of the water for the first few dives. Like, yeah, just get that basic kind of finning technique, like the very basic. You don't need to, you don't need to be a finning pro to like before you do anything. You just need to get a basic technique so you're not wasting the teacher's time teaching you to do yeah, yeah. that. You are getting value for your money in the course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely some time in the water. F bit of fish idea and stuff. If you're doing the free diving course with the outlook of spearfishing, um, you can teach yourself for free online. Like, there's so much information out there. There's great paid courses as well. Um, but yeah, just teach yourself a bit. And most freediving courses aren't spearfishing courses either. Yeah. Like, the, the, a big part of freedive spearfishing is the freediving component, and and, you, and it is good to spend the money and do a freediving course. Like, I'm all for that. But I think for the instructor to be able to teach people and the people to get the most value out of the course, it's like there's a few things you can do before you get to the course and you should do so that you get the most value out of the course. Yeah, like, love it. Definitely leaving the spear gun at home. Mm. Like that's just another level of complication, like hunting and, and, and learning all the equipment is a, is a whole other sort of two areas of knowledge that will develop, but it's like just one thing at a time yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. Love it. All right, cool. Um, you could even apply that to other things like the weight belt as well. That's not necessarily a requirement straight mm. off the bat. Like getting to snorkeling, don't worry about chucking 10 kilos on and going for a dive because you've seen somebody else do it. Yeah. Like just enjoy the buoyancy and just work out like your, your mask. And well, your, that's what I did. Like I took out my girlfriend's oldest son and uh, just took him out to Tangaluma Rex for a snorkel. And... Um, I don't, there's no spearfishing there anyway, but I deliberately underweighted him as well so that he was more buoyant 
And yeah, he had to fight to get down. Um, but if you're underweighted as well, it also encourages you to develop a really good duck diving yeah. technique. And, uh, and there's less energy just staying on the surface and breathing and resting. A lot of uh, problems I see with new ones is they want to sit upright in the water yeah. instead of just leaning forward. Yeah, yeah. And it's like game changer. Yeah. You know, it's just such a small switch and we all know it because we're used to just laying there and trying to chill right out before we do a decent dive. But for new guys, it's a it's a, it's a a new thing. Like, So I mean, like you go into a free diving course and you don't even know to lay down flat. You you know, you're probably not quite ready for it, you know, like then there are some things you can work on. Um, with spearfishing too, like there's an entry barrier, like there's a cost barrier. That first set of equipment, um, a lot of mistakes are made. A lot of cash is thrown around. And sometimes you see guys jump into spearfishing and they don't even know anything about it. Like they're just stoked and they love the idea of it and they're keen. And they jump in and then they go, oh, I'm terrified of sharks. I'm terrified of dark water. I can't deal with the cold. I get seasick. I can't equalize. You know, like there's just so many like things to trip them up and throw them out. What do you advise to guys like? Yeah, you can you can start off humbly. You can start off with secondhand gear or borrowed gear, borrow mate's gear if you've got somebody that spearfishes. Like so, yeah, borrow some of their gear and just accumulate stuff like over time. Mm. I've seen I've seen guys literally in Sydney come into the water and it's their first time diving and they've got an eight hundred dollar gun. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like yeah, a, you don't a need a double that. roller with a reel. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, right. You've 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 started at that end of town. That's yeah. a level of complication you don't need. Yeah, and well. I, I genuinely think it will hamper growth because if they'll they'll spend so much time trying to work out the the real when to use when not to use and then the extra hassle of having the double roller and it it it, it takes importance away from the basic skills that they should be trying to learn mm. of basically how to hunt fish and basic basic gear mm. yeah start start basic so if if someone like they love the idea of spearfishing um they think they want to hunt underwater and they like the idea of holding their breath. They think they've got um, some of the characteristics and the weird mindset that we all seem to have to, to do it. Um, what gear should they buy straight up? Like, obviously they don't need to buy a spear gun and a float and all the other stuff. Probably just focus in on the freediving equipment first. Yep. Is that kind of your thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd definitely go for your, your wetsuit to keep you warm so you're enjoying it. And it also protects you from some of the natural environment. So like jellyfish, rocks, mm. things like that. So I'd definitely go, yeah, wetsuit. What kind of wetsuit there? Oh, you don't even have to have a spearfishing wetsuit. Like yep. you can, you can start off just. I had a neoprene. Um, it was for cliff jumping, but it was just a shorty wetsuit that I just mm. wore initially, and that was fine. It was just a three mil neoprene yep. zip on the back, yeah, um, kind of deal. <laughs> and yep. yeah, that that worked for a number of okay. years. So just oh really? And that was good enough. Yeah, that was that was good enough. Um, I'm pretty good with the cold, so that yep. was beneficial in the UK. Um, not many people dive with a three mil in the UK, um, mm. especially shorties. But yeah, so that, that was good enough. Um, mask is probably one of the most important things. Mm. Get yourself a decent mask. If you get a mask and it's it's crap, it's cracked, or like if it is a secondhand one or if it keeps fogging out, like you need to fix that before you get in the water. Because yep. if, you, if you get in the water and you've got a mask that's just continually fogging, mm. you're going to have a terrible time. You're not going to enjoy it and you're not going to want to continue because mm. if you're plagued with something that's actually a real easy solution. Yeah, righto, yep. Um, I like the idea of spending a bit of money on a mask like don't go to a fishing shop and buy one of those packs with the fins and that yeah just often the quality is just not there like it's and it's not a good experience if your masks fogging up all the time and it's just uncomfortable and you don't have good vision you're not going to enjoy it yeah i completely agree i think as well if you are going 
into spearfishing or with like aspirations to go into spearfishing, go go for like a free diamond mask, like a low profile mask, yeah. and then you only commit to the spend once, and it's yeah. the the margin on buying a free diamond mask yeah. isn't that much different to buying a cheap but, cheap mask. But here's the deal though, like I just said, spend a bit of money on a mask, like our lowest quality freediving masks, like our, our cheap ones that are actually effective and will get the job done, they start at $40, like 40 Australian, maybe 35 US, uh, 30 euro, something like that. They, That's where that starts. But the fishing shops are selling them for 5 or $10. Yeah. But really they're shit. Like yeah, yeah. Don't, just don't do it, eh? Yeah, yeah com completely avoid those masks. Um, yeah. Especially if they're like... Um, clear on the sides. Yeah, they're they're super cheap. They're they're manufactured for like one time use. Yeah. Like they're for holiday makers that are visiting the ocean and just want to do five minutes mm -hmm. of snorkeling. Mm -hmm. Um, get yourself something good. My my mask. Unfortunately, I've just replaced my mask, but it was over ten years old. I think it's about eleven or twelve years. Yeah, and that was a forty dollar mask. Yeah, so yeah. like it will last a, a long time as long as it's not damaged. Yeah, um, I said I said cheap, and to yeah. us like we're like forty bucks is a good mask. Yeah, yeah. But we know like some spiros will spend a hundred and fifty dollars on a mask and they won't even blink yeah so $40 is kind of your entry point um, cheaper than that you, you, you're looking at just rubbish just junk if you pay 60 bucks for a mask and it's good it fits your face it does the job you've you've won yeah as far as I'm concerned like never whinge about getting a mask that does the job if you pay 100 bucks for it like that's what you need that's what fits your face because your face is weird or whatever <laughs> done like just spend the money and do yeah. it because vision's like you can't compromise with it like I, I agree like I think you can get 40 bucks but whatever whatever does the job for you like for yeah. sure yeah okay so we've got wetsuit mask and we'll add in snorkel yeah um, what else do they need um, fins Yep. So fins, like for, for very basic starting off, you can start with any fins. Mm. Like I, I use split fins for like two years or something silly. Um, but you can use snorkeling fins. They're, they're, they're not great. They're not ideal, but they mm. teach you basic finning technique. Okay. Um, they get used to wearing fins and kind of swim. I've seen a lot of people get into the water and they kind of swim as if they're not wearing fins and they're wearing fins. Yeah, yeah. And it's just a little bit weird. So yeah, you develop that basic technique and then you can go out and then you can start getting longer fins and proper free diving yeah. fins you don't need to rock into the water with carbon fins on your first dive yeah 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 and i mean i i personally like i like the idea of buy once and buy right so i would say get yourself a set of full foot fins if you can afford them but the, the price point for starting is somewhere probably around the hundred dollars for plastics mm. long free diving fins if you just want to buy once and get the right fins straight off that the other go but you can start with um scuba fins if you're just kicking around the rocks in the shallows and having a look around for sure um yeah love that okay cool so we've got we've got our we've got our we've got our wetsuit we've got mask and snorkel and we've got fins do we need a weight belt not not to not to begin with you can pick up a weight belt when you go for your free diving course yeah. um or you can like i actually use just a standard belt and i just got lead secondhand and just attached it so it was a it was a full-blown buckle system <laughs> and i used that for about four years until <laughs> until the little eyelets rusted out yeah yeah um but yeah i, I, I just made use like i i would have looked funny getting in and out of the water in kind of mixed smash gear like bright luminous yellow split fins and then this dodgy white belt with rust yeah. leaking through it but um yeah that was okay but now i know that there's a safety aspect that comes with that like free diving weight belts 
uh, designed to be quick release. Yeah. So if you do need to ditch the weight in a certain yeah, situation, yeah. you can get rid of it. So safety side, yeah. And, if, and if you want to buy once and buy right, get a rubber one um, with a quick release um, buckle, and then yeah, in, you, you're going to be able to add weights and customize that and move it, and that's going to be your friend for years to come. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. And then you, you, you're pretty much set to go. You can start having a look around, and then you can add your gun and your float and your float line, your knife and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean that's all essential when you want to start spearfishing, but to get going, really we're just talking about learning how to snorkel and free dive. Yeah. And then all the other complications of hunting and all that, that, that can come next. But um, let's say like, okay, they've, they've, they've got comfortable snorkeling, they've gone and done a free diving course, now they're competent free diving. Yeah. They can dive down, they're touching the bottom in 10 metres or 30 feet, and, uh, and they're ready to start trying to shoot some fish. Mm. Maybe even they're, they're down at 5 metres or 15 feet, whatever it, the number is. Um, but they think they can go down and they can possibly shoot something. Yeah. Hopefully not their buddy. Um, <laughs> what, what, are, what are the next steps, like buying a spear gun and a rig line and things like that? Yeah, so then, then you're definitely, once, you, once you're competent at free diving, you, you'll benefit so much better when you can actually get down to those depths and hold your breath because of fish will start to come in. So the spearfishing aspect will become more exciting. It's not like you're super loud on the surface coming down and you get to the bottom at 10 meters, all the fish have been spooked off by all the noise you created, and then you turn around and go, back up to the top you're yeah, not going to yeah, have much yeah. fun so once once you've wow. developed all of that then um, yeah your spear gun can come next go like I went second hand and I got one on eBay and yeah it was <laughs> piece of crap I actually used initially we used my best mate's um, dad's gun that was probably from like the 60s or something yeah and that was horrific. That thing had no safety. And it just kind of, occasionally you'd just be swimming along and it would just go off. Oh. So that was pretty hectic. It was so a three tip. A, the, the mechanism's like a friction-based mechanism. So it holds the shaft in there. And after a while, the, there's wear on the metal. So yeah. it will, like the older ones particularly, will let, will let go. Yeah. And the shaft will, it's yeah. under power. It's like a slingshot. Like, um, and uh, some people, I don't think they're aware of that when they, when they start off. So it's a good point. Um, but from that, we developed really, really good safety techniques. So we never pointed the gun. Yeah. We always treated it as if it was live and ready to go because of when it was it, live. Because it, it could, was. Yeah. <laughs> it, it <laughs> could go off. Die. Yeah. So yeah. like that built up excellent yeah. gun technique and gun yeah. safety. Yeah. Yeah. Don't point it. Don't load it out of water. Um, these are just some of the basics. Loading a spear gun is a skill into itself. Yeah. And, um, and that can be quite frustrating and it can be quite an effort to develop that technique if you don't have the upper body strength as well. Um, and painful where you put the butt of the spear gun in your body and stuff like that. Yeah. That's a whole other sort of journey. But Lee, learning like the, the, you know, the, the bag limits and the no-take species and uh, the size limits and the, probably the five or ten species you're likely to encounter as a new spearer because you're not going to get any of the good species. Yeah. Like, let's be real honest. Um, if you're just jumping in and you've learned how to free dive and you've got a gun and maybe you can get down to 10 metres and stay there for 15 seconds, you're not going to shoot anything decent. Mm. Um, you may get extremely lucky and the dumbest fish swims in, and, but it's very the chances are infinitesimal, aren't they? Yeah, yeah like, definitely. Uh, um, so you're going to... 
you're going to shoot the RAS, the yeah. UK RAS, yeah, yeah. and you're going to love it. Yeah. And you're going to shoot the New Zealand butterfish, and you're going to shoot the, the Australian moorwong. You're going to shoot these fish that, like experienced sparrows, they're going to turn their nose up at. But as a new sparrow, you're just going to be frothing, stoked, mad on shooting like a relatively easy species. Yeah. And you're going to eat that thing, and you're going to love it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, for sure. It's, it's amazing the, the stoke that you do get off it. Like, because although, for, for me, when I shot my first Ballin RAS, like, yeah, the, the stoke that I got off it was when I first shot my Australian snapper. Like, mm. it's the same stoke, but it just carries on. But I know that I wouldn't get the same stoke from shooting that RAS now. Yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah, you just develop. Yeah, your Trevally species in probably Hawaii and, uh, and, and in the US, I'm just trying to think what they would what they would shoot, the Jack Creval or the, yeah. the Tortog up there up in uh, New York or something like that or... Um, yeah, there's there's heaps of species like um, oh, what's that? The species over in California, they all start on the sheephead, the sheep's oh, head. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like there's heaps of iconic species everywhere that everyone starts on. Like um, yeah, why not? Um, cool. Um, yeah, I love your approach. You you're you're a man after my own heart in terms of starting with an extremely tight budget. Yeah. <laughs> um, for those that have got a little bit more money and they want to buy sort of once and buy right, what do you sort of say to them? Like maybe they've they've set aside fifteen hundred dollars. Like, yeah. when should they dump that cash? At what stage of their spearfishing journey should they go out and they pff, buy it? Oh, good question. So with with guns, guns is a is a really easy one to get hung up on because of the variety and price between guns is, mm. is huge. You can buy a gun for one hundred and fifty bucks, or you can buy a gun for well over two grand. So it, it depends on what kind of spearfishing you're doing, I think. Mm. Um, if you're going out straight into blue water and you are chasing, then maybe, yeah, investing more money in the gun side of things. Um, apart from that, I'd say you want to be comfortable in the water, so still invest in a good wetsuit, something that keeps you warm, can keep you in the water longer. The time, time in water is absolutely vital for learning. So if, you, if you've got a wetsuit and you've got like a $900 gun, but you've got a crap wetsuit that only allows you to stay in the water for 45 minutes, mm. you're not going to develop very quickly as a Spiro. Like mm. time in the water and comfort comes massively with that. So yeah, I would, I'd invest in a, in a good wetty. Um, and then for other things, good dive knife is so important. I've had to use my dive knife a couple of times in some hairy situations, um, mainly for like fishing line and stuff like that. Did you have a, a, a local dive shop that you, where you made friends with the people and they sort of gave you advice about diving? Yeah, so it was a, it was a scuba diving store. Okay. <laughs> and we went in and we used to have a chat and the guy was a bit annoyed because we were like little, <laughs> little kids. You're an eco-terrorist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's scuba's favourite thing is RAS. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we were going in just like pestering, trying to get stuff at a discounted rate. Like, oh, have you got any damaged weights and, and stuff like that? Just because of, yeah, we were kids. I still do that now. <laughs> <laughs> I bought so a damaged weight the other day. Some things never change. Love it. But yeah, um, yeah then luckily, oh, it would have been a couple of years after we discovered that there was a, a spearfishing store and we used to go in there and ask a lot and the guy in the spearfishing store was great. He, he tipped us up on a few things and yeah, taught us a few things that we were doing wrong, like diving without a float for like four years. Um, yeah, yeah. And today we saw that like... Um, the boat traffic through where we were diving was horrendous. Um, mm. Really lucky we had a float and a flag out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, definitely recommend that in high, high boat traffic areas. Um, 
I want to. I want guys that are interested in spearfishing to have some more resources and stuff. I, I wanted to encourage people like there's so many good local spearfishing shops now. Like find a shop in your area. Don't buy the shit online. Like um, you can do that when you're more experienced or whatever. But when you're in your first stages of spearfishing, I really think it's awesome to have a not just a scuba store or a fishing store, like go to a spearfishing store because they're going to sell you gear that, unless it's a scuba spearfishing store, because there are parts of the world like Florida and stuff where they have that that crossover. Um, but a local spearfishing store, because they're going to have the species knowledge, they're going to tell you bag limits, spots to go. They might be able to hook you up with buddies, with free diving courses. And you might pay $10 more for your wetsuit than buying it online. Pay the $10 because the local contacts and the network that you develop is worth it in the long run. Um, but apart from that, what else? Like guys that are new to spearfishing, um, what resources and um, places can they go to, to, to get better at spearfishing? Wet um, Mammal, Wet Mammal YouTube, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, you know Wet Mammal, you can get on there. And the, on the videos, I've started to include um, legal sizes. I always include a bit of information about the fish um, and potentially even some recipe ideas to try and get people onto cooking and doing more with their fish. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's so much out there now, like things like Noob Spiro. Facebook is a great place for groups and communication. Just just be careful, like what you do post into those groups. Like, as we were saying before, like what's this fish isn't going to go down too well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, there's lots of places. So there's podcasts like yourself, like Noob Spiro. Um, there's books now, great books. There's YouTube. YouTube has tons of channels. Um, Daniel Mann. Chris Coates, loads and loads of great channels that yeah. distribute amazing content that can just absolutely fill you up with what you need. Clubs is another great thing. Yeah, um, yeah. So I had contact with about three people that spearfished for about the first 10 years of diving. I only knew three people that spearfished. And of that, one of them was the guy that I was teaching to hyperventilate, and the other one was the first guy that I saw in the water. So, like, so get a network. Yeah, get a, yeah. Join a club if yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah. Networking sure. is huge. I, I didn't, I didn't understand the benefits of joining a club until I was listening to the Noob Spiro podcast, oh. and they were talking about clubs. And then I was like, you know what? I'll give it a go. So I, I joined a club, and yeah, it was absolutely amazing to learn all these new techniques, things that I hadn't even considered, and just like fun stuff that people do, like tying Crocs onto your float line so you're not cutting your feet on the rocks and oh, stuff like that. Like, yeah, there's, there's loads of amazing, unique solutions that people have come up with, and you'll only develop those if you kind of get in contact with those people. And clubs and community is great for that. Crocs, I think Crocs should sponsor us because um, Jeepers, they, they're a Spiro's best friend for sure. Awesome chatting with you, Sam, about um, about the Noob Spiro journey, like in terms of you know how guys can start and get started. Uh, really powerful section, awesome veterans vault, man. I love that feeling underwater when you pull the trigger and you know exactly where that shaft is going. You want something dependable. You want to put that fish that you've been chasing for a lifetime in the boat, in the cooler, in the esky, in the chili bin if you're in New Zealand. Why do we call all these things different names? Anyway, today's show sponsor, KillshotSpearGuns.com make awesome wooden timber spear guns a fantastic shooting platform. If you've ever shot a big timber gun, you know the, the reliability that you get from these things. Uh, he mostly makes enclosed track spear guns. Visit him at killshotspearguns.com. Use the code NOOB to save $30 on any Killshot spear gun. 
Let's move on to the next part of the show, the funniest thing. So, like, um, I'm I'm betting you've shit yourself out spearfishing, but what funny story. <laughs> <laughs> you've just got that look about you. You're one of those guys. Like, um, But, like, funny stuff out spearing, what have you done? Oh, yeah, heaps. Um, probably some of the best is rip my mates, best mates back open um, because we were getting out of the water. This is when I was real young. And yeah, we were getting out of the water and it was like a, a rocky area and I was wearing my fins because we used to kind of get into the shallows and then walk with our fins out for about 40 meters. And uh, yeah, I slipped and I, as I slipped, instead of me taking the brunt of the rocks as I went down, I, I jabbed my mate in the back with a three-pronged <laughs> spear and used his back to kind of prop me up. Oh, so wow. yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah. What a mate. <laughs> You're powerful. Yeah. Nothing like jabbing a three-prong into your mate's back. <laughs> yeah, literally <laughs> stabbing him in the back. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, yeah. earlier today, you were discussing a really controversial hunting technique. Uh, <laughs> uh, now, I was pleased that you didn't use it as your hunting technique for the interview, but I would love it if you just give us a bit of a background and information on your famous hunting technique. Oh, yeah. So, are we calling this the cloth the clothier? Clo- yeah, the clothier. The clothier. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this isn't backed by science. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, where to begin? Anecdotally. So, so, <laughs> I've, um, I've encountered a couple of times, um, and I don't know why I've done it, but I've, I've, I've gone down at depth and I've undone my way when I needed a piss, and I've pissed at depth into some current. And sure enough, it's brought on some fish. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is, and it's, it's brought on some solid kings. Yeah. And um, so I chucked this out into a group chat, and yeah, the guy came back and he said, "No, I, I swear by this. Like this has happened to me a couple of times. I've literally yeah. like un, unwrapped myself from my two piece yeah. and I've got my dick out and gone for a piss. And yeah, yeah sure enough, it's brought fish on." So it it kind of makes sense that it would you are, work. You are from the UK though, and really pale. So maybe like it acted as a flasher. Oh yeah, yeah. a very small flasher, <laughs> but yeah, it glints but, in the sun. <laughs> I was thinking though, like like this technique, like it sounds funny and it, like it is funny, but like when we're at, when we're trying to attract fish, we use everything. Like we mimic marine life. Sometimes we use sound that like arouses their curiosity. You're trying to use a different scent here <laughs> yeah. um, to attract the the the, the smell. Um, the olfactory is that the the word? I'm trying to be intelligent, sound intelligent yeah. here. But you you you're trying to use smell to attract these fish. Like do something a little bit different and a little bit unexpected. You think that's why it's working? Yeah, I, I think that's why it's coming to success because the fish are super curious. Mm. And when you introduce new scents and kind of yeah. things into the water, or just new shapes, bodies, whatever, yeah. into the water, they'll naturally come in to see yeah. what what's that about. Like where's that coming from? Like, There's nothing like the scent of UK gonorrhea. <laughs> <laughs> Streaming through <laughs> Sydney waters, the kingfish is just like, oh, are you gonna get me some? Yeah, yeah, it, it works. <laughs> no, it's bizarre, and this other guy swore by it too. So I think we need to set up like an experiment here, like a, a, a controlled, um, like scientific experiment, and really, no, we can't do that, can we? <laughs> like, if someone else is listening to this podcast and they're thinking this is the craziest shit I've ever heard, if you have done this, I want to hear about it in the New Spirit community on facebook tell me how you've dived down at depth and pissed into current and somehow attracted a fish i'd love to hear about it um that's 
the, the funniest hunting technique I've ever heard in my life. Um, uh, let's move on to the, the final part of the show. It's Spiro Q&A. It's a faster-paced round of questions where we, we close out the show with style. Are you ready? Let's go. All right, cool. Um, what is the single best piece of advice you've ever been given for spearfishing? Oh, tough one. Um, let's go with focusing on your breath hold and getting down and waiting for the fish to come to you as opposed to trying to actively chase fish. Love it, love it. Um, if you had a dream spearfishing destination, like you could go anywhere spearfishing for two weeks solid, um, where would you go? South Pacific, Niue. Yeah. Yeah. What would be your targets? Would you go blue water or reef species? Reef, yeah. Oh, yeah I love reef. it. Um, single best resource for spearfishing apart from Wet Mammal YouTube? Oh, Noob Sparrow. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. Boom, loaded question, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> I got the book. It's, yeah, it's, it's genuinely awesome. Ah, I love it. Yeah. Thanks, man. I'm not paid to say that. No. Um, last question. Could you describe what the spearfishing experience means to you in one sentence? Um, yeah, it's going out and getting a feed for myself and knowing the entire process of, of that. So, yeah, I know that there's no bycatch. Nothing else has been hampered or, and I'm taking what I need. Yeah. yeah. I love that, Sam. It's been awesome meeting you and having you up here from, uh, from sunny old Sydney. Um, it's been rough with this coronavirus, so it's cool that the, the, the borders are opening up and we're starting to be able to do stuff like this. Um, yesterday, I ordered fish and chips with my family. You did not partake because you've got a staunch sort of belief in only um, eating seafood and fish that you've harvested yourself. You're a man of your word. You've got, you're full of values. It's been really cool meeting you, and thanks for coming on the podcast. That's awesome. Thank you for having me. It's been epic. Good trip. Hope you enjoyed today's interview with Sam Clough the year uh, at Wet Mammal. He's a he's a cool he's a cool dude. Recently come down and uh, and obviously stayed at my place and uh, it was it was cool to hang out with him and and uh, just just chat spearing and life. Um, if you're not aware, you can always go to newspirit.com and find the show notes for any episode recorded. And there's generally all of the stuff we talk about is always linked in there, as well as sponsor deals and discount codes. Check it out at newspirit.com. Another cool feature is if you go up to uh, if you go to newspirit.com and you go back, go up into the give back menu. There's a there's a Nuba story section where you can drop a voice message where I could, that I can include in the podcast. Now, I'd love to hear about your latest successful or unsuccessful hunting story, um, a scary moment that's happened to you, uh, a podcast review, anything you like. Go to noobspirit.com, up into the give back menu, go down to Noob, Nooba Stories and leave me a voice message. I'd love that. Um, as usual, thanks for sharing the show. Massive thanks to just word of mouth. It's just sharing with your mates that you're enjoying the show makes a huge difference thanks for listening today i'm out in 2001 adreno was a tiny hole in the wall shop and it was near impossible to get spearfishing equipment in australia without adreno many people would never have discovered the joy of spearfishing to continue their legacy they've created a highly effective 101 basic spearfishing series for free that you can check out on the Adreno YouTube channel. Adreno may be bigger now, but it's still a company that's focused on helping people discover the spearfishing experience for themselves. Check out the Adreno YouTube channel for plenty of awesome vids to help you on your spearing journey.
Today's Noob Spiro podcast is brought to you by Neptonics.com. Neptonics makes solid gear that works, equipment you can rely on, even when you get all limp biscuit on it. You'll struggle to break stuff. 